my name is Kristen Booth. I'm a member of the IEEE Power Electronics Society Digital Media and Education Committee and a faculty at the University of South Carolina. With me, I have my colleague, Erjeet Banerjee. Hello, everyone. I'm the vice chair of the IEEE Electronics Society Digital Media Education Committee and a faculty at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And today we are having a conversation with a very special guest, Professor Annette Muetze. She is a professor at Graz University of Technology in Graz, Austria. Welcome, Professor Muetze. Thanks so much for joining us in this podcast. We are so excited to have you here and talk about your research, teaching, and some philosophical aspects of our profession. Thank you so much for hosting me. It is a pleasure for me to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. So to begin, can you tell us a little bit about your earlier background? Yes, of course, I would be happy to. That goes back a long way, back to the 90s, towards the end of the last century even. Following my high school graduation in 1993, I went to Darmstadt University of Technology, or in German, Technische Universität Darmstadt, to study electric engineering. Back then, we did not have the bachelor's master system. Since then, this has been introduced in Europe too, but only at the beginning of the century, as part of the so-called Bologna Agreement. My degree was a five-year program comprising two years of fundamental studies and three years of specialization. Through a combination of luck, my openness towards new ideas and desire to explore new grounds, and my extremely good marks, I learned about a double diploma program that was run jointly with École Centrale de Lyon in France, one of the top-notch engineering schools in France. I did not hesitate long, applied, and got accepted to the program. So I moved to France to live there for two years. These years and the experiences I gained certainly significantly influenced my later path. I was not only allowed to obtain a second degree in general engineering that complemented the degree in EE I was pursuing, I was also given the chance to learn from living and working if I may refer to studies as work, in a different culture. Back then, the internet was just starting to become a thing. Calls back home were rare and often required queuing at the phone booth. And because of the length of time I spent in France, I could not cling to my status as a mere visitor, but had to truly settle down. This experience had somehow triggered in me the interest in learning more about and from other cultures and different working and studying environments. So, by the time I started my PhD, two and a half years after returning from France, I had arranged for a four-month internship in the US, a research stay at BMW in Munich in Germany, and a research stay at Newcastle University in the UK. This was certainly mobility-driven to the extreme, but I am grateful for all the experiences I could gain. Still, to this day, I continue to encourage students to take advantage of the opportunities given to them to spend some time abroad. There is so much scientific proof today on the long-term benefits of international exposure, both on careers and on our personal development, and it will never be as easy as during the time as a student to make it happen. Then, in 2000, I started my PhD, again at Darmstadt University of Technology. The university had just hired a new professor in the field of electric machines, Professor Binder. His enthusiasm for the subject resonated with my vision to contribute to combating climate change but improving, by improving energy conversion systems. 
It just so happened that Professor Binder had just a very interesting PhD position available that I happily joined. It was during my time as a PhD student that I realized just how much I love teaching, interacting with different people, as much as researching into open questions. When I learned during a conversation at a conference that the WEMPEC group at UW-Medicine was looking for a younger colleague, I took the leap and applied. And as you know from my CV, I got the position. Wow, I can't wait to dive into this a little bit deeper. So let's start with your PhD thesis, which was entitled Bearing Currents in Inverter-Fed AC Motors. How did you come up with the core ideas? As I considered working towards a PhD, I wanted to do so within a project that involved many different companies. I felt that this would allow me to work on something of interest and where the risk was reduced to serve a specific company's own interests, or on the other hand, on something too academic so that the industry would simply shake their heads in disbelief. However, the topic of my thesis and of the project that, was, that funded it was Professor Binder's idea. He had worked on this topic while still in the industry and had realized the need to bring many industries together to solve it. As I just said, when contemplating the idea of pursuing a PhD, it was important for me to work on a topic of relevance. And so I happily welcomed the opportunity to work on this subject. And what was the most challenging part of this work? Were you ever worried about any hypothesis which you had to spend a lot of time investigating? Honestly, I can't recall. It was all a marathon, I guess, like most PhD students experience. You start with a lot of enthusiasm. Then comes phase two, disillusionment. You work through it, you try to put all the loose strings together, and eventually you enter harvesting mode. Then all the results fall nicely into place and another read through no longer threatens to expose something you didn't consider, but simply confirms what you already know. But there was not only the scientific part, what I was less prepared for were the dynamics of a multi-partner project. At the end, we had 14 different companies involved, manufacturers of electric motors, inverters, cables, filters, and bearings. They all had their own perspective on the problem and were, of course, afraid of any result that may at the end question the performance of any of their products. But again, here in retrospect, I'm very grateful for exactly this experience. I think it gave me a crash course on working within or at least together with the industry. That's very interesting, Anat. So one question on your innovative work in your dissertation uh, on inverter-induced bearing currents. Uh, that led to Scheffler FAG Innovation Award, and later you received also the prestigious NSF Career Award. Uh, so how valuable do you think those were to your future career trajectory? It certainly was an honor to receive the Scheffler Award shortly after completing my PhD. It helped me to recognize the impact my work was about to make. And it certainly also brought others' attention to it, as it is one of the most prestigious awards by a technical foundation. As for my later moves, I think that this award was part of a series of achievements that helped me obtain the professorship I now hold. A similar statement can also be made for the NSF Career Award. This award is made in anticipation of the work to be carried out based on the research proposal. Receiving this award within the first year after joining UW Medicine early on put me in a position of someone that colleagues took seriously. 
everyone who has gone through the tenure track system knows how hard these first years can be when everything seems to revolve around having to prove to the community that you deserve a permanent position. And even if we all know that our personal value does not depend on our achievements, receiving these two awards gave me confidence to move on in my career path, which at that time seemed unusual and off the beaten path. Most academics in the US have spent their grad school years in the US already. I, in contrast, had left Europe to move to the US. And most engineers in Europe, and notably Germany, would at that time go into the industry following their PhD. Again, I, in contrast, had chosen the then still rather American way of staying, aiming to work in academia without joining the industry following my PhD. Very interesting. So moving from your you know, early career uh, into your professional career, it seems like you drove straight into the academic life. At what point did you realize that this was really what you wanted to do? As I mentioned earlier, when I was a PhD student, I realized how much I love teaching and interacting with different people, as well as the idea of pondering research questions that were too academic or too abstract for the industry to solve on its own. At that time, though, I was not sure if I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. When the opportunity came up to take up a position at UW-Madison, I decided to give myself five years to decide if I wanted to stay in academia or start working in the industry. This was a big leap because, as I mentioned earlier, at that time, I, it was very uncommon for engineers in Germany to stay in academia right after their PhD. There were certainly difficult moments and times, even years, but I always continued to like my job. During the times of success, I never once thought about changing and there was no need to entertain this idea. I had just turned 36 when I took up the full professorship at TU Graz that I now hold. This is a very young age for such a position in Europe. As life goes on, societies change and so do the university systems in Europe. I continue to enjoy the ongoing need to redefine our roles and ways we realize research and teaching. Even more than 10 years later, I do like the versatility the job brings. There's research to be envisioned and realized, and resources need to be identified to carry it out. There are fundamentals and new findings to be taught. The conditions under which we teach change as society changes. We continuously try to revise and improve how and what we teach, so as to train engineers that society will need tomorrow. And there's a lot of interaction with people from different backgrounds, walks of life and ages. I'm not aware of any other job that would allow me to combine these fields of activities in this way and with such a lot of freedom to balance them to a large extent following my own understanding of need and importance. That's really inspiring, Annette. So uh, let me ask a little bit going back uh, again, back to US uh, when you were a part of WMPEG. How was your time at WMPEG? And again, for, for the audience here, WMPEG is very well known. It's the Wisconsin Electric Machines and Power Electronics Consortium. So uh, how was your experience there? And what was your key research focus? Shortly after joining, I recognized there was a huge gap in our understanding of how to apply deterministic optimization to the design of electric machines. And there was a need to close this gap, 
as we cannot afford to design so-called optimum solutions without having scientifically verified they really are the optimum solutions. In contrast to the prevalent parametric studies or heuristic approaches, I wanted to research into the use of deterministic approaches. This is what I wrote my NSF Career Award application on that I submitted two months later. With the award being granted, I had the financial resources to carry out the work. Unfortunately, I faced some problems hiring good students, and so the start of the project got delayed. And then I returned back to Europe. So at the end, the project, as I had proposed it, was not really carried out. Today, many techniques for the optimization of electric machines have been established. Research still continued, but deterministic optimization has remained a neglected stepchild. But today, we know why. To me, this now old proposal is a good illustration for how rapidly research evolves. Today, this topic certainly would not be granted such an award. But this award is also a good illustration that we need to be courageous enough to frame research questions that reach beyond expanding the limits of common ground. That is totally true, and it we completely resonate with you here. So one more question here, since we are talking about optimization electric machines, and it seems like there are, and as we all know, uh, it's a very multidisciplinary field by itself. So at what point did you start to think about multidisciplinary aspects of electric machines and bringing that into your work? And uh, how, how did you realize that there was something missing that needed to be discussed? Hmm. I cannot recall that I ever brought this aspect in. To me, it seems it has always been there. Already during these years when I was pursuing the double degree program, I studied both electric engineering and general engineering. At Ecole Centrale de Lyon, our courses comprised subjects such as mechanical engineering, information and computer science, math and physics, material sciences and business and economics. So from early on, I learned that engineering requires considering several disciplines. My PhD concerned phenomena of multidisciplinary character. So I never thought that research in the field of electric machines and drives could be something other than multidisciplinary. That is so great. And I think at this point in research, it seems like that's just has to be there in order to make good research happen. So as you've mentioned before, you've talked about moving back to Europe, and now you're in charge of the Electric Drives and Machines Institute at Graz University. Beyond your amazing accomplishments, what drove you to take on this challenge? That's a great question. Sometimes I ask myself the same question. I think it's the passion for what I'm doing. I also know that I do have a lot of stamina, and I do love to be creative mostly with respect to finding solutions to what others consider problems. This refers not only to scientific questions, but also to challenges that relate to the structure of the work environment. For example, I never hesitated to attend conferences with a few month old baby. There's plenty of room in the corners to spread out blankets and toys. Yes, I also did receive criticism for doing so, but I think this is the price for most who conquer new ground. Today, just a few years later, we have family rooms at ECCE and other conferences. 
that's really really inspiring uh, and it again and I, I think i still remember in one of the conferences i saw you uh, with your kids and it was really really uh, inspiring to see how you can handle both professional and uh, personal family life together i think uh, as uh, listeners uh, audiences here in our podcast i think that brings us uh, uh, a lot of inspiring aspects of the job we do and how and it you inspire the next generation of uh, of uh, researchers and educators so let me ask you let me change the gear a little bit and uh, let me ask you a little bit of a trick question if i will uh, what gives you the highest sense of satisfaction in your professional career is it a research problem that you have solved or when you see so many students who went on to build on their career following your footsteps mm. there are different things and many things i do like research and i'm very happy about every scientific problem that i can solve or say that i could solve jointly with others i'm even more happy when this has been written down as a nice paper i don't like the pressure to publish at the institute that i'm heading we try to avoid mass production of papers with a lot of overlap to other publications but we really do take pleasure in the polishing process that a nice journal publication goes through but what i almost do like more is seeing that what i was allowed to contribute to other success this is certainly the most rewarding aspect of my position i think it's the human desire to make an impact and to me this translates into working with a few individuals and every individual is as the name suggests individual and not someone who simply goes through the pipeline this being said in my opinion there's a fine line between patronizing students and supporting them it gives me a high degree of satisfaction if i can offer help by sharing my networks and experiences and allowing others to develop their own full potential simply by giving them an umbrella of protection and room to do so i think that that's a, a great way to talk about our positions as faculty members uh, i know as a new faculty myself that that is a, a goal that i strive towards and it's exciting to see other people uh, with the same thought process so moving into some uh maybe personal areas along lines with this is i noticed in your dissertation acknowledgments that you said it was like a ship that embarks into the sea in order to reach another harbor there might be the captain at the controls but it is really the whole crew that makes the journey a successful one what suggestions do you have for young professionals in building up this crew or mentor network don't be too proud or too shy to ask it doesn't necessarily mean asking for help it may mean asking for others experiences with social media and so many offers for young professionals this has become much easier than it used to be so do set aside some time for this even if you don't feel like it and also don't focus only on the big names do invest in peers of your age in a couple of years these will be the people who form your network while as time goes on more and more of the big names will have retired i really really like that suggestion uh, and it i think that's a great uh, great uh, thing to have uh, how much we should think about uh, our network and how to create our own network and one more question on on a little bit of a different topic here uh, and it following up like uh, as it is so close to women's international day and women's history month what advice do you have for young women in engineering 
do follow your passion. Don't let others tell you that something is too complicated, too difficult, or that you won't be able to make it. Do set yourself ambitious goals and work hard to reach them. And don't be too proud to seek support from peers on your journey. There's no need to reinvent the wheel to solve problems and find solutions for situations others have gone through before. Thank you so much, Professor Moitza, for your time today. This was a really great conversation and it was a great honor to have you on our podcast today and hear about these experiences. Thank you again for having me here. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Arjit. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Annette, again for joining us on this podcast. Finally, a special thanks to Megan, who is behind the scenes helping us with the logistics. For all our listeners out there, it is the aim of our Digital Media and Education Committee to bring you more such podcasts that are inspirational, informative, and useful. Our aim is to have these podcasts available to you via IEEE Pell's website, as well as on Apple Podcast and Stitcher Podcast apps available on all cell phones. Please stay tuned for more. Thank you. Mm-hmm.